Today's podcast is loaded. Uh, talk a little bit about who Ainge is as an executive and how he's able to pull this deal off. Get into that. I also want to do a rant on college football expansion. Uh, has anyone actually enjoyed this? Any of these fan bases? We've got Bruce Feldman on the news and notes, and then Van Lathan and I chop it up and also talk a little Toronto and life advice. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode. For additional details, must be 21 and older, 18 plus in DC, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit rg help.com. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip from free high speed Wi Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more. Book direct at lq.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. I spent a lot of time on Sunday uh, with Simmons on our Sunday pods talking about Minnesota's deal for Rudy Gobert. And as I said, you know, even though I don't like it, um, because I think you have to be a Gobert guy to like it. And I, and I become less and less of a Gobert guy. We talked about it, I think, for almost 30 plus minutes. So I don't need to recap all of that stuff. But there was still one part of this that I did want to revisit that I didn't touch on there. And I think is important when you're trying to understand what it's like to do a deal with Danny Ainge. I do think it's funny that Ainge is now kind of considered good again. And after this deal happens, they get all these picks. And it wasn't really about the players. It was all the unprotected picks that they would get for a Gobert, who is a really expensive player, who's not, he may be all NBA, but that's more positionally than it is at any point. Has any of you, have any of your friends, have you ever sat around going, hey, who are the 15 best players in the NBA? Do you guys say Rudy Gobert? I guess if there's one guy that's completely married to the analytics, he would say that. Um, But it was kind of this victory lap for age. And I thought, wait, this is weird. I thought everybody thought this guy sucked. Uh, I know I've gotten into arguments with people that are on the air about Ainge. Uh, I don't think he was likable as a player. So for an older generation, maybe that carried over as him as an executive. Uh, there were lean years. I think any of you that have listened to me for a really long time, even though I am someone that is kind of called a Boston guy, I'm probably, I'd like to say the most fair. Others would say I might be one of the most anti-Boston guys that's, I'm not from Boston. I lived there. I spent a lot of time there, but I'm always a little uh, cautious on on trying to repre- represent myself as some some guy from Roxbury. Like that's that's just not who I am. But I mean, hell, this Celtics team I couldn't stand watching in January, and I still wasn't sure this entire time. So I think that track record there is very clear. But when I think somebody's being talked about unfairly, or I just think everybody's off. I'm going to say it, and I always thought people were off on age. Uh, you can go through the draft picks that aren't very good. Langford doesn't look like it's going to be much. You know, who knows what ends up happening with Neesmith as he got traded in the Brogdon deal. Um, you know, they did the Desmond Bain deal where he ended up in Memphis when he could have been with the Celtics. Uh, the Fab Mello pick, you know. And I remember reading one piece that was like, Ainge is terrible at drafting. And the guy that did the piece, this is actually something that was online, available for consumption. He wasn't smart enough to realize that when you go to basketball reference and you look up a team's draft picks historically, they don't change them based on who you traded out. So he started writing this piece and he started blaming them for like multiple guys that they didn't even draft. Like they 
technically had the pick, but it ended up being somewhere else. What I've always argued about with Ainge is that, okay, fine. He doesn't, he had a, he had some real lean years with the mid to later round picks. By the way, if you do it long enough, you're probably going to have a bad stretch, but he's really good at the important stuff. He wins the trades and he's still somebody that found a way to do the Tatum deal when I don't think most people would have done that. And he picked Jalen Brown, which I definitely couldn't believe at the time because I just, I don't know. I didn't really get it. Um, with Jalen Brown, I was wrong about Jalen Brown. He also, before he bounced, Peyton Pritchard, Rob Williams. Pritchard was 26. Williams was 27th. Grant was 22nd. That's three rotation players in the 20s, three finals rotation players. So it felt like he was kind of riding the ship there a little bit at the end. But on his way out, it felt stale. It all felt stale. I don't think the Celtics are ever going to fire him. And he ends up being able to keep his son in place. The front office has stabilization. Brad Stevens moves up to the front office. They do the coach. And then he waits it out. Everybody knew he was always going to end up running this Utah team because Ryan Smith, who buys the Jazz, is like his close friend. And everybody had been talking about this for a couple of years. All right, so he pulls off this trade. I want to talk about personalities because I think this can apply to a lot of us and a lot of stuff that we do. Like, who is Ainge? Right? Who is Ainge? What does he see when he looks in the mirror? Well, he sees a guy that, what, for 40 years was either a player in the NBA, a coach, a broadcaster, an executive now for almost 20. The guy also played baseball. So he probably likes what he sees when he thinks about his approach as a basketball person, a person whose life has been in athletics. When he looks in the mirror, he's probably thinking like, I know what I'm doing. Very. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, in talking to guys for as many years as I have, there are very few that will ever say, I'm kind of not good at this. No one, I've never heard anyone ever say that. Oh, hey, what happened with this draft pick? Oh, well, it was this, this, and this. Like, you just, did, were you wrong about him? Like, nah, there's a bunch of other things going on. All right. So when Ainge is talking to somebody else about basketball, there's a pretty good chance that Ainge thinks he's right. And if you have that kind of personal resume, you know, look, he's not one of the all-time greats. I'm not saying that. He's not some, like, Hall of Fame player. But when you've, you've accomplished in basketball, in the game of basketball, what he has accomplished, there's a pretty good chance there's some entitlement there that, at least in this case, is more deserved than some of the other entitlement that we have. You know, this guy won, wins a title with 86 Celts. He's almost a god in Utah, which is saying something. All right? So now he's back running the Jazz. Uh there's another cop that I want to come up with here, and that's, that's Steve Nash. Steve Nash, the, they're burning the ships on our guy Steve Nash right now. His roster's at mutiny level. It's been a mess. Uh, Steve Nash is a Hall of Famer who's banked about $150 million. He's going to be all right. And I would guarantee if you got Nash in a spot where it was like, you know, how is, again, how is he processing through all of this stuff? Is he completely stressed out, filled with anxiety? Or is he like, hey, you know what? Like, I've accomplished some really big things. This is a challenge. We'll see what the next one is. Whereas if you were Kenny Atkinson, if you were still the Nets coach, there's a good chance Kenny Atkinson's probably handling this differently because he does not have the resume of the guys that we were just talking about. Uh, when I ask teams about interviewing coaches, uh, there's a common theme that'll happen. And I'll use two examples that I was not used as examples stories-wise. But like, if you're a Chauncey Billups or if you're a Jason Kidd, and you go into interview for a job, you're interviewing as Jason Kidd or Chauncey Billups, right? And if you're, say, Mosley down in Orlando, a life lifelong assistant, all these assistants that we've seen get gigs recently, Ime Udoka as well, you're going to handle that interview probably a little bit differently because you know that when you're sitting down across the desk from the decision makers, that they're viewing you as that lifelong assistant, which is much different than looking at a Jason Kidd, or in this case, we're talking about somebody like Danny H. Now, the other 
front office people are probably desensitized to it because they've been around it their whole lives. So it's not like, ooh, Ainge played and Tim Conley, Matt Lloyd didn't play. So that means that he's going to get over on them. That's not what I'm saying. But I think it also, if you look at like how we react, like if you meet somebody who's either a pro athlete or a public figure, somebody that's in the spotlight. Hell, I remember when one of Jim Carrey's movies was being filmed in Burlington, Vermont, back when I was still bartending and Renee Zellweger came by and she asked for a glass, I think, of white Zinn. And the owner's like, just tell her it's for free. And we like handed it to her and did like this thank you thing. And I'm like, Renee Zellweger's just getting free drinks all night because of what? Jerry Maguire? Like, all right, that's fine. Again, it wasn't my booze. Like, I don't give a shit. But this is a very common thing that you carry yourself a certain way. You carry yourself a way that kind of reflects what you've accomplished. And again, there's plenty of people who have accomplished nothing that carry themselves in, in big, grand ways, which is actually kind of impressive if you think about it. So the point that I'm trying to make here is that Ainge, when he's on the phone with someone, he doesn't really give a shit because he doesn't really have to. And so he's going to ask for his price. You're going to get mad and he's going to hang up the phone and he's not going to sit by the phone. He's not going to call you back. He's not going to double check. He's not going to tweak the offer. He's going to see how desperate you are because he has the patience of someone that not only has the resume that we've covered, he also has the personality of somebody that is so revered in Utah. He doesn't have to do anything that he doesn't want to. Why do I know this? Because I asked somebody years ago about the net straight. I'm like, how the hell did he do that? Like, how did he do that? And the way it was told to me was that the Nets made an offer for Garnett, Pierce, and all the pieces. Remember, they wanted to move off a Wallace contract. They wanted to throw in some draft picks. And Ainge was like, oh, all right. Ainge shared that offer with everybody else, with the Celtics. People were like, oh, my God. That's amazing. Like, those guys are kind of washed. Do it. And Ainge was like, eh, I don't think I want to do it now. Let's see what happens. He waited. He waited when everybody else probably wouldn't have. He waited because of who he's been. He waited and he ended up getting an absurd price because he got all of the swaps on top of the unprotected picks. I don't know how many other people would have done that. And maybe you have to have that kind of resume. Not that Daryl Morey isn't difficult and doesn't ask for everything. If non-players, it's not like all the non-players, but there's something in it. There's this comfort that you have when you have accomplished really impressive things. It's the reason why Magic will always have a gig, all right? Pat Riley isn't necessarily on every single trade call, but Pat Riley has a presence about him where he is being kind of almost consumed differently uh, from the person across the desk than just the guy who's a grinder, started video, and worked his way up for 20 years, all right? This isn't to say that Ainge is better than everybody else. You know, that's not what it is. He was always better than he was being talked about. He wasn't getting enough credit on the way out of Boston, but that's just the way it works. The thing isn't working out. Hey, I thought this team was supposed to be better. All right, you're to blame. You've had some bad drafts on and on and on. He was never that bad. But this guy wins a lot of trades. He wins almost all of them. And I, I think most of us all have to admit that there's something about him and everything he's accomplished where he goes into negotiation thinking, yeah, well, I could also not do this. And it's not going to be as big of a deal because it's me, especially now in the state that he's working. One little bonus piece here. I've seen this a lot with Nash as well, who we mentioned earlier. Uh, and Bill even brought up some of it too with Sean Marks as well. It's like, hey, there's some in the gap stuff. They could have done this deal. Maybe they shouldn't have done that one, all this stuff. Not disagreeing with any of it. All right. Nash could have been a coach. Okay, fine, fine. But you know what? We wouldn't be here if the players just fucking play. You see that roster? You see what it looks like on paper? I'm not sure TJ Warren's even healthy right now. But when you look at that roster, 
and you go, you know what would have solved a lot of problems? If everybody played. So I don't really want to hear about the Sean Mark stuff and I don't want to hear about the Nash stuff. Hold on. There's more. <laughs> I want to talk college football. Realignment. <laughs> you think players not playing pisses me off. All right, so let's do a little timeline for you because there was something in this exercise of researching all of this that I thought was important to share with, with everyone, apparently. Uh, and as I went through the, the little work on this, I'm like, wait, should I not be mad about any of this? And there's a good argument that says maybe I should be. Let's go back. Let's go back in history here. Uh, if you want to, it depends on where you want to start. I mean, we could talk about the WAC being ruined by the Mountain West. Uh, we go way back to when the SWAC was infiltrated. Army was independent football for 107 years at one point, then did join a conference. So maybe I'll get to some of that other stuff. It always felt like for me is when the Big East was first mortally wounded, but not exactly killed yet. Um, Virginia Tech and Miami left in 04. Boston College leaving in 05 was the one. They were like, wait a minute. You know, Miami and Virginia Tech, we were okay with as a, as a hardcore Big East guy. BC was the one that felt like, okay, this stings. Uh, Nebraska left the Big 12. They went 29 and 12 in their last five years in the Big 12. They went 28 and 12 in their first five years in the Big 10. I'm telling you, Nebraska fans thought, based on the reaction that I got as a national host talking about this stuff all the time, they thought they were going to run into the Big 10 and roll. Like, finally, get these other teams out of the way. It has not happened. We'll get more to that later on. Larry Scott, new Pac-12 commissioner, innovation, tech, coastal. Uh, we're going to get Texas and Oklahoma. Nope, you're going to get Colorado, who goes 8-29 and 29 in their first five years. And then Utah, who went from 33-6 and six in their last five years in the Mountain West as opposed to 18-19, and 19, but definitely showed progress later on. So Utah has actually made that transition work. 2012, Texas A&M. Uh, they leave for the SEC with Missouri. The record actually did get a little bit better for AM. And this was also, I'll never forget the Missouri stuff, and I'm going to get a little more detail as well. But they went to the SEC and had immediate success. And nobody loved that more than Danny Cannell. Um, the Big East officially dies probably when Cuse and Pitt left after West Virginia left in 2012. So Pitt and Cuse leave in 2013. The Big East football conference becomes the AAC. They split up the basketball part of it. And you're like, all right, this thing's over. But when I look back even further, I'm like, you know, Florida State and Miami were independents when all that swack stuff was going on. And the SEC was looking to expand. The SEC wanted Texas to Texas A&M back in the early 90s. Uh, they also wanted Arkansas. Arkansas was thrilled to get away from the Texas part of the SWAC. Um, and then state legislators in Texas were like, there's no way we're letting uh, A&M and, and the Longhorns both go to the SEC. So that actually got all blocked. So then the SEC was like, well, maybe we should go after Florida State, Miami. Miami was like, we don't want to go to the SEC because we're a private school. Uh, and Florida State decided, you know what? We don't want to be the little brother to Florida. So we'll just go to the ACC. So all this stuff happened back then. We're talking 30 years ago. So what, as I was doing it all, I'm like, wait, am I getting mad about something that's been happening for three decades? Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. I am getting mad. Does it mean that I'm losing perspective of the like the historic stuff that I always like to bring up to take down other arguments that I'm ignoring the things that I would usually use? I guess I am. Here's why. It's because I fucking hate it. All right. I want to ask some questions here to different fan bases. A&M, has this been awesome for you? I know the revenue, but it's not like you're not rich anyway. You might be in the playoffs by now if it weren't for you moving to the SEC. Uh, and you haven't played Texas since 2011. 
One of my favorite games, Thanksgiving tradition, watching A&M and the Longhorns go at it. You haven't played that game in 10 years. Mizzou, has this been fun? All right. The early SEC title game appearances, again, surprising. Again, Danny Cannell's favorite single talking point ever, being like, ah, the SEC sucks. Look at Mizzou roll right in there. The SEC East kind of sucked, and Missouri actually was a decent football team for a long time. But they've won more than seven games once in the last seven years. Uh, and we talked about that immediate success. Nebraska's had, you having a good time? We've had one 10-win season in 11 years. Zero bowl games in the last five. Nebraska is in the Big Ten West and has been to zero bowl games. Sometimes you get to like eight or nine wins in the Big Ten West just if the schedule hits right. Here are their finishes the last few years in the Big Ten West. Last, fifth, sixth, tied for sixth, fifth, third, fourth, third. When they were in the East, remember how weird that got? They finished third. They actually won their division and played the Big Ten championship game but lost to Wisconsin 70-31. to Utah, slow start, as we mentioned before. But two good years around a weird five-game COVID season. Uh, it's worked out for Utah. But what if they told their fan base saying, hey, hey, the TV money, like we can't play BYU anymore? Because that's what a lot of these other schools have done. Could that even happen? Could you even propose that in the state of Utah? Be like, hey, holy war, over TV money. Who knows? Maybe it would happen one day. I don't think I'd want to see that happen. I know plenty of fans would hate that idea. Uh, how about Colorado? Since you joined the Pac-12, you've had four coaches and nine losing seasons. And the only rivalry you have with anyone in California is people coming up to buy up your property. Maryland, you get your ass kicked. I know that your last record was fine, but let's face it. Like, do you feel good about playing in the Big Ten in football? No, because all you care about is basketball. And instead of playing Duke and UNC in conference or a conference championship game or just a conference tournament, you're playing Nebraska and Minnesota in basketball. Big East hoops. Q's not playing UConn or Georgetown. No Pitt anymore because BC left 17 years ago. Um, how about Pitt, West Virginia? No backyard brawl in football. No border war. Kansas and Missouri. We could have a situation if Washington or Oregon were to leave. No Apple Cup or no uh, no civil war between Oregon and Oregon State. Um, UConn's back in the Big East as I pivot back to basketball. Instead of St. John's and Georgetown, which is still a possibility, at least in the basketball version of this, I'm supposed to go, wait, who's say, who are the Johnnies playing tonight? Oh, I got Creighton at a 4, four o'clock Pacific time tip. Notre Dame hasn't played Michigan in football since 2019, and it's not on the books again until 2033. Texas and Oklahoma leave the SEC. USC and UCLA move on. And it's only getting worse. Yes, I know about the TV money. We've covered this. And I know traditionalists are usually like, oh, really? You're one of those? A lot of things I'm not. A lot of times I think it's a waste of time. A lot of times I think it's hanging on to something that doesn't really seem relevant. But I'd love to know from all the fan bases, like, and we'll be able to figure this out in another 10 years. Like, how many fan bases actually go, this has been awesome. I love this. Losing rivalries. Playing in divisions that are way deeper. Never having a chance. I mean, hell, I didn't like the automatic conference champion bid that we used to have I'm all for it now because now you can have like 20 something teams playing in two different conferences which may be rebranded as television networks and the game is going to miss something and I think it's okay to be pissed off by that Bruce Feldman 
as plugged in as it gets when it comes to college football, The Athletic, also Fox Sports. Okay, so we know the announcement recently, just days ago, Big Ten saying yes to USC and UCLA. What's the timeline of events? How did this happen? Were they playing football there in 2024? Then, you know, two years from now, it's going to start up. We'll see how it's going to work out logistically. You know, it's interesting. I feel like this this part of it hasn't been talked much. Is it's one thing for USC to go play Notre Dame once a year and you know and fly over two time zones or play a long trip. It's another thing to do it numerous times over a year. Same thing with UCLA is going to deal with. But really, at this point, the financials were just so overwhelming that they had to do it. Um, from my understanding, from talking to people involved at both schools. The idea really bubbled up about six to eight weeks ago, but it took on a lot more momentum in just the last couple of weeks. Uh, it was a well-kept secret, but right now, um, I think everybody else is in scramble mode to see what happens to the rest of the Pac-12. How much more you know, additions are the Big Ten looking to do because they have a Big Ten TV deal coming up? So it's a really fascinating time just in college football beyond just college athletics. So what else could they do here? Like, what's the what's the end game? Who else could they pick off? Are they going to go after ACC schools? Possible. Now, the ACC has a grant of rights deal, which really locks in. It becomes financially a really hard situation for some of these schools to get out. Now, Notre Dame is obviously the biggest fish out there. Notre Dame has a grant of rights with the ACC, but not in football. So that's not prohibitive. And Notre Dame obviously has a huge TV audience. If Notre Dame wanted to go, um, geographically, it makes sense. Academically, I think it makes a lot of sense. They love the independent branding that they have to be unique. But if, and Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, talked about this a few weeks ago, about possibly, well, maybe the, AC, the SEC will have its own football tournament. And, you know, people are like, well, you really can't have that because it's, there's still the rest of college football. But if an expanded Big Ten and perhaps even a more expanded SEC do it, if they went to Notre Dame, because Notre Dame has always had a seat in the postseason in the playoff, if they said to Notre Dame, you're not, we're not going to carve out space for you as an independent. You either join one of us or you're going to be left outside. I think that would be something that they would that they would have to consider. My understanding is right now Notre Dame doesn't, you know, is is hesitant to do anything. But I would not be surprised if that changed in the not-too-distant future just because it financially would make a lot of sense. You already have USC, SEC, uh, Notre Dame's big rival already in there. So a lot of things have lined up already that, that could work out for the Irish. What happened to the alliance, man? It was the Pac-12, ACC, Big Ten. After Texas and Oklahoma went to the SEC, those other three conferences said, okay, we are now formed the alliance. We will not poach from each other. That didn't even make it, what, a year? Didn't even make it a year, Ryan. I remember when the thing got announced, we were all on a Zoom call with the with the three commissioners of the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12. And I had asked the question, and remember, in the backdrop, this is only about a couple of weeks after the Big 12 got raided by the SEC. And so I brought up that once they had said that, I, that there was no binding contract, I asked each of the commissioners, I said, you know, for people who are going to be really cynical about this, and it doesn't take much to be cynical after what happened with the Big 12 in Texas and OU, why should anybody feel like, have confidence this is going to hold up and no one's going to do an end run? And Jim Phillips, the ACC commissioner, 
that said, well, we looked at each other in the eye and then it went, and I was kind of like cringing as he was saying it. It looks even worse now, right? I mean, you can find the video of uh, George Klyavkov, who's been the commissioner of the Pac-12, the grand total of the year. He was really new to it. You know, I could see him feeling comfortable. I was like, I don't know why you would have any confidence that this would hold up. And obviously it didn't. Um, USC and UCLA had to do what's in their own best interest. And look, you and I both live in the West Coast. It makes a lot of sense for USC, especially that for a long time, as long as I've lived out on the West Coast, which is close, you know, 20 years, USC people always said, how come we're only making the same amount revenue-wise, Oregon State and Washington State? We're the ones who drive the bus financially for, for the Pac-12. On the UCLA side, they're about $100 million in debt just from the last couple of years, especially coming out of the pandemic. This was a move that all their leadership was very open to. It was a hard move, but at the end of the day, because it's money, money makes things a lot easier. And so I think when you look at that and you look at how the alliance spends, you know, lined up, the alliance was kind of a joke. I mean, people snickered at it in the SEC and they had reason to, because at the end of the day, the TV money drives everything. And it, it, it makes people, it, it, loyalty only lasts so far. Yeah, so I was looking at some of the fiscal numbers uh, where post-COVID, a lot of this stuff is, you know, it's a little, I wouldn't say it's misleading because the number's the number, but normally if you're the Big Ten and you're projecting, okay, we're at 53 million per team a couple years ago, and then there's a dip down, if everything had been normal, we're probably looking at a Big Ten deal pre the new TV rights at like $65 million per team, whereas if you look at the last year of the Pac-12 payout, it was actually less than $20 million per. So I understand all of that. And I don't know, like, do you believe the new TV deal? We're, we're going to eclipse easily over $100 million per team for new teams in the Big Ten, correct? Good. You know, I mean, remember, you know this, uh, Ohio State, Michigan, those are huge TV polls. Penn State as well. Even the schools that are seen as, you know, lesser than in terms of that, you know, they're still kind of blue bloods, though. Nebraska has a loyal fan, fan following. Michigan State is strong. You start getting into that. And I think when you have that many schools, now you're going to add USC to it. That's a half dozen schools. So it's not just their games. It's, it's the games that they raise the level of the Indianas and the Minnesotas and the Purdue's, you know, and I think it's a, it's a big deal that TV money. I don't think a lot of people get just how that part of the business works. You know, think about it. I mean, I have uh, the big 10 network already just because I, you know, do some work for them. I've always kind of made it a priority to have it. If you're a USC and UCLA fan, you have to, you have to get it now. And I think that that's a changes some viewing habits. And I think what's really unique here is when people say like that, the big 10 has the New York market, well, they have Rutgers and, you know, like, look, that's not having the New York market. You do have a lot of other alums from big schools who live there, but when you have USC and UCLA, you really do have Los Angeles. I mean, there is a lot of diehard Trojan fans out there who care about USC football no different than Ohio State fans care about the Buckeyes or how SEC fans care about their teams. And I think that is a huge sell to get the second biggest market and really the most engaged college football market in terms of, of the top ones where, you know, New York isn't, doesn't have a home team school like USC is to Los Angeles. How much is Larry Scott to blame? What? <laughs> 
yeah, like I I don't know. That tenure looks worse and worse by the by the week. I mean, you know, he talked about innovation and all the thing, but the thing I always go back to with Larry Scott was the fun, you know, the thing I there's a the cliche I heard a lot in college sports, which is like keep the main thing the main thing. Larry Scott never knew what the main thing was. And because of that, his conference backslid at a time when everybody else who was on, you know, who was at the top of the food chain prioritized and he did not know how to do it or he just looked the shiny object too long. I'll never forget being on the sideline once of a big game. You know how it is. Thinking it's all these ESPN top guys on air, not on the air. Larry comes over, says hello, you know, holds court for a few minutes because that's what you're supposed to do as a commissioner. And he walked away. One of the guys looked at me and was like, he's so full of shit. And I was like, all of these guys, to a certain extent, are selling something. And it was unbelievable how dismissive this person, who was very important, was just like, that guy, like, I was like blown away. And it wasn't like I was some guy that was like the executives are saying, hey, make sure Rosillo's around us and hang out with us. But it was, it was very telling. Like, I was like, Wow. And honestly, you're right. The tenure. I don't know. Well, we've already done the Larry Scott rants here. Two quick things here. Um, one, maybe not as quick. Quickly, though, on the Pac-12, what are they doing now? Scrambling. But what's the plan? I think the biggest plan has got to be try to make sure we can keep Phil Knight happy or get him happy. Um, you have Washington and Oregon, which have attractive, you know, they're, they're sizable TV markets. They're both strong brands with good history. The thing is, does the Big 12 try to poach whatever they can from the Pac-12 at this point where there's vulnerability? I don't know how much the Big 10 is going to be jumping on those two schools right now. I think, if anything, Notre Dame is a priority. Perhaps some of the ACC schools, if they can untangle them from the Granite rights. So if you're the Pac-12, do you sit there and I think you have to have all options on the table, including like the, I don't want to say the doomsday one, but like, do you have schools that are looking like, hey, we may be the Mountain West? Do we look and see what happened to the, if, if worse comes to worse, do we try to salvage some version of a basketball heavy league where you have the Gonzagas and try to poach that side of it? I think you have to look at all your alternatives because the Pac-12 without USC and UCLA is nothing like what the Pac-12 identity has always been. Those were the iconic programs to not have the LA TV market, you know, do you, you sit there and say, well, we can try to get Boise state, which has, you know, a decent sized following. Do we try to get San Diego state? Do we try like, there are no really attractive, uh, fallback plans. Now you're just in survival mode at this point. And I think that's the challenge. And like I said, I think they have to open up everything from, is there a possible merger with the big 12 or some kind of hybrid? Or do we look at, you know, do we try to poach the Mountain West or worse comes to worse? We try to look at a basketball model, just like the old Big East, you know, when it was a, I mean, it's a completely different brand, but when at one point the Big East had, was in the power six and had Miami and then that went away. And now all of a sudden it's this basketball bunch of schools and a lot of them are smaller schools and it's very different from the Big East as we knew it before. The other question I'm going to save for later, because it is longer. And uh, I want you to get back to watching your son play football. So thanks, man. I appreciate the help. Van Lathan joins us today. We have a lot to do today. And Van and I 
like to chop it up every now and then. We both love college football. We both hate the expansion stuff. We feel like yeah. we age 20 years when we talk about it. So not much mm. disagreement on this one. Um, let's just try to kind of get where we're at with all this stuff, which is all inevitable, but it doesn't mean we like it. Yeah. Um, look, I go out to the basketball court, you know, I run around, I hit sky hooks, I hit hook shots. I shoot the ball, turn around jumpers, and I'll post people up. I think, I think, hey, I'm young. I'm still young. I can still go. I still got it. And I'm feeling spry, jump, touch the backboard. Hmm. Not bad. And then I come back into uh, the house and I realize I'm old. And how do I realize I'm old? Because I get disgusted at the thought of USC playing Purdue in conference. I can't stomach it. I can't stomach a conference game between UCLA and Indiana. I can't bring myself to deal with it. We're in Evanston today, where UCLA, where USC is taking on Northwest. I can't, like, it, you know what I mean? It's, it's like, it, and so I understand the dynamics and everybody's going to talk about it. And we understand the way the economics are influencing the sport. And what we're going to get is these massive super conferences. And you just got to be ready for it. And you got to kind of let the change wash over you. But I had a little bit of sickness in my stomach when Oklahoma and Texas announced they were joining the SEC. They're not a part of our conference, okay? They played. The thing about me is, look, and the UCLA-USC thing was even worse. Growing up and watching college football, there were styles everywhere. Styles. Like in boxing, styles make fights. That's what made a bowl game fantastic because the styles clash. That's what made some of the BCS national champion fantastic. That's what made these big out-of-conference games fantastic. We didn't know these teams because they represented a different part of the country and different culture. The Pac-12, pretty boy football. Big 12, shootout football. You know, Pac-12, all of these amazing skill position players and quarterbacks and all of that. The SEC, we're, we're winning in the trenches and running the ball down your throat and the six-foot-six 270-pound DNs that run a 4-3-40. You know, you only get those guys in the South. Like, all of that, you know? Um, and so, to see that go is, and I know that it, it, it seems like I'm harping on it, but to see that go is to see a large part of not only my initiation into loving college football, but the reason why the sport has stood out from the NFL for so long for me. Uh, and there is a little bit of a morning for that to know that that's not going to be a thing going forward. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. I mean, that's why I, I love college football. I do like it more than the NFL because I feel like each area is, is like each geographic footprint represents whatever different culture we have in this country. Like you can see it play out and mm -hmm. the, the Southern part of the SEC, and maybe it's just that, you know, you're from there and I've got to travel and I've gone to, I don't know, maybe 60 stadiums and I've got to see it. And like every time I go to a new place, it'd be like, I love that this feels different, even though it's supposed to be the same product. Yeah. And I love that there's that unknown. Like when Oklahoma's playing Florida in the national championship, and you're like, Oklahoma is putting together, like they, it felt like they were the first team that said, okay, we have all the five stars. 
well, we're going to now, we're going to run the stuff that all you guys are running just to try to find a way to compete with us. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to see, now granted, there, there could be another better example of, I remember Saban was a little reluctant. There were other teams, you know, Jimbo was, Kevin Sumlin was doing it with A&M. Um, but it just, it felt like, I don't know what's going to happen because we don't really get to visit you guys that often. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, hey, I think I know who's going to win this game. I think I know what's going to happen here, but I'm just not sure because there is this separation. And it felt like each conference played whatever reflection of style that they either could recruit to. I mean, the Pac-12, they just don't have the bodies the way the SEC does and sometimes ACC, depending on which program we're talking about. It's not like Clemson can't get those guys in or Florida State over the years. But I knew when I watched a Pac-12 game, it looked like a Pac-12 game. I knew when it was like those early shootout Big 12 days where it felt like they were doing stuff that was different than others. And Leach is finding a way to win nine games with guys that are getting to Lubbock that just probably wouldn't even be on the radar at other programs. And then the Big Ten, which I think is a, is a few different things, but this traditional sense of like the first time I go to Wisconsin and I'm like, man, I feel like I'm in a time machine Absolutely, here. And yeah. I go, this is... This is like going back in the best possible, like going to Michigan State felt like going back in time. Madison felt like going back in time in a way that just now it doesn't mean that when you're in Madison on a Saturday that it's going to be different, but it's just, I don't know. I I don't know if in five years I'll go, oh, you know, actually it wasn't that big of a deal. I don't really care. We're getting further and further away from the things that we loved about the sport. Hmm. And I'm. I'm scared of what that means. Like, what if I told an Alabama fan, like, you can't, like, Auburn, you and Auburn won't play each other for 10 years. Now, granted, that's not going to happen in this case, but, like, that's what's starting to happen when you have SC and UCLA moving on a year after Texas and Oklahoma are moving on. I just don't like any of this shit, and I don't want to be told I'm wrong about it. So, (laughs) So here's the thing. One thing that is happening in culture and is part of the connectivity of everything and part of the, uh, you know, the internet's effect on our lives is, you know, homogenization. We're, it, it used to be that as a kid in Louisiana, I would go to California and the kids dress totally different. Visit my cousins out there. They dress different. They're, you know, they they got the dickies on and all of that stuff. I go home now and the kids here are just, just like the kids uh, where I'm from. They have the same haircuts. You know, I remember one time the Duke haircut took over the world. Remember the Duke haircut where you got the the Duke starting five haircut where they, they got the curly fro on top and they, you know what I mean? You, you know, I'm talking about the Jalil Okafor. All, everybody had that cut. Yeah. I'm looking around. I'm looking around. It's like, you guys, stop getting your haircut like you're going to Duke. All right. Everyone like relax. It's the same haircut. Or when the Mohawk, everywhere I go, everyone had a Mohawk. I'm like, what the hell? When is it going to stop? Or, when girls were shaving half of their head off and leaving the hair on top, all of these different waves were everywhere, not just like in one place. I'll say all that to say it's hard for me to believe that the homogenization of college football isn't coming. It has to, to a degree, if this expansion, it, like, if it, if it's going to be successful, it like, what what happens is familiarity in teams breeds some similarity. And breeds you kind of understanding what it is that a team does, right? Um, and for me, I remember some of the, the the biggest wild moments watching college football to me, and it was because it was the unexpected that the uh, the unknown breed. Like I remember when Ohio State took on Florida. I think that was the 07 national champ, 06 national championship. I can't remember. It was Troy Smith 
and 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 Heartline and all of those guys, and they were up against the Chris Leak Florida team, and uh, he was on his way marching. He's the Heisman Trophy winner, all of that stuff. Ted Ginn, Florida, yeah, yeah, Ted Ted Ginn, yeah, and Florida blew their doors off, right? And something that most people weren't expecting. They have been watched. They have been watching the SEC the whole year. They didn't understand that team, and for me, knowing that this expansion means that these guys are going to be more interconnected, I don't see how, in the long run, in the short term, I'm sure I don't see how, in the long run, that this doesn't, to a degree, take away some of the mystique of the sport. I could be wrong. Like, I could definitely be wrong. I don't see how it doesn't take away some of that um, that infrequency that, uh, I don't know if I'm finding the right word, that, uh, that, that sort of mystery that we're talking about if you have two 20-team conferences. It's just, to me, it, it would have to leave. It would have to go away. Uh, and I find myself very afraid of that. Yeah, and then there's, I mean, there's a bunch of different parts of this, but you know, when I think about Nebraska football, I used to think a certain thing. I don't, I don't even know what, like, what is it? You know what I mean? Like, what is yeah. it? What's its identifiable trait other than losing games recently? Um, when I think about A&M and Texas not playing each other around Thanksgiving, you know, every year. And, and that game, they even try to get it back in the books. They're like, hey, the schedule's full. There's different ADs now. And now it's going to come back once they're in the same conference. But you know, if anybody says, well, you know, this is the future and you won't care in five years and it's too important and the money and all these different things, I'm like, well, then I lose. I lose every argument. I'm not arguing against what it means for revenue. I'm arguing against if you go through all of the movements, like, do you end up at the end of it with every fan base going, I'm glad I, I'm glad this happened. I'm glad we did this. Or I actually ended up missing what we used to have. And then maybe it just takes years to move on from that. I also think there's another part of it that's it's selfishly motivated, but it's it's survival where you'll have a lot of fan bases that just have apathy, but they're thrilled that they're at least connected to the Big Ten and the SEC, where it's like, well, as much as I don't like this or it's not my preference or this isn't anything I necessarily wanted, at least I'll be in one of those conferences that is still considered what we look like we're going to have here very soon is is an ESPN versus Fox and multimedia partners. Oh, that's, gonna be the, an all, that's what it is. Yeah, we're careening towards that. It's the networks themselves that are at war, not even so much the teams on the field anymore. Look, everybody got to get money, bro. I get it. Everybody got to get money. I'm not even even doing that. You know what? We need the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is an important football conference. It represents an entire coast. It represents an entire sensibility. And to know that and I'm not dissing any of these schools. The Pac-12 is about to have to look at some schools to to enter the conference that aren't traditional Pac-12 powers, and it's just going to be less relevant football. Oregon's going to look for a way out. You're going to look for other teams that 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 might possibly look for ways to get to 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 get to some of this money. They're not going to stand pat. Oregon has too much uh to too um they have too rich of a booster base, too much tradition too big of a national imprint. They're not going to stay. And now that's totally changed. Look, there's something to be said with the, all of the, the, the X's, the X's and O's, the dollars and cents notwithstanding. There's something to be said to where, like we talk about change and we, we, we normally attribute change with, you know, uh, something progressing or evolving or whatever. 
I, I don't think right now the era of college football that we're in, I don't think anybody knows whether or not the sport is changing for the better. And that includes, that's everything. It doesn't matter. And we, like, it's a fucked up situation to be in because I'm in support with the kids getting paid, right? Uh, it's too long that they were getting their asses kicked. But NIL has been handled so terribly that every single time, I can't even look at, at college football recruiting anymore because every single time I try to look at recruiting, these recruiting wars used to be great. I'm hearing talk about rumors about how much money some kid is getting and it's changing the whole fucking thing. And it's not, I, I can't blame the kid and their parents. I don't know who to blame. I don't know who to blame for any of this. And it's like, it's just weird, you know, getting on and growing up and just kind of figuring out what stomping my foot, barking at the moon, whatever us old guys do, you know, maybe I'll start playing pinochle. Maybe I'll start doing lawn bowling, you know, since I'm doing this much complaining, you ever see those guys lawn bowling? <laughs> yeah, like, some Ryan, videos, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Maybe me and you should start. Look, we got, we're going to have our Saturdays, you know, we're going to still watch college football, but maybe Rosillo and Lathan lawn bowlers, that's something I can get behind, you know, as an old guy who likes to complain because I sound like such a bitch right now. We both do. I mean, we were laughing <laughs> on the phone. I go, this this conversation immediately ages both of us 20 years. But, you know, the, the NIL thing is, is a good, like, there's a dichotomy there because you had all of the people that were in charge screaming that the NIL would ruin college football and their own movements, their own expansion, realignment, whatever you want to call it anymore, is ruining it or the version of it that I love far more than a kid getting paid. And by the way, some of these NIL deals, when you dig in and you start to really ask around, there's a, it's almost NFL free agency. There's a sticker shock number that makes it out publicly. Mm-hmm. A lot of these kids are not, it's, it, this isn't some check that's getting cut for 9 yeah, million or 10 yeah, million. Yeah, 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 there's yeah. a lot of like chance to, but here's, here's another good um, comparison. I went to lead 11, right? Last week. Shout out to Elite 11 for inviting me again this year. It's one of my favorite things I get to do. I see the high school kids throw. I see the college kids throw. And, you know, you just kind of bullshit and talk about stuff. And mm-hmm. one of the coaches was like, pay attention when, when the high school kids introduce themselves. I was like, all right. Mm-hmm. And he goes, half of them will say, and I'll just pick LSU because there wasn't a kid throwing that was going to LSU, so I don't want to cause any shit. But... Mm-hmm. Kid steps up and be like, I am currently committed to LSU. Uh, like, currently committed. Like you, uh, you never know. You're, you're supposed to be there. And you it's never just, know. It's just understood <laughs> in the way they describe their situation that it's like, well, I am currently, and it's like, man, does LSU know that this is the phrasing right. on this thing? And so here, the, the kids always get beat up. The adults always are worried about. Like we have a hard time, and I don't even think it's specific to this country. But adults have a real hard time with kids winning. They just of course. Do, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and or especially if they have the power and the leverage in it. They like obviously that's not that's completely that's that's counterintuitive to the way we've like exactly, exactly. this is right. right. This is not new. This is not this is not uh me pretending that this is insightful. I'm just saying, yeah. like, we don't like like whenever I you know, transferring not that long ago, I remember working with a bunch of people and they would just be like, are these kids transferring? I'm just like, what? And then I kind of was like, are they right? Am I right? Do I just have an open mind? Am I undecided and all this stuff? But back to the original point, the NIL is the devil, right? The NIL is mm-hmm. the devil? Nah, man. This this whole conference shuffling thing and what the end game, like your TV deals are going to be massive. 
Mm-hmm. Big Ten is going to be ne- renegotiating now, adding in UCLA and USC. I do wonder in like the mold of what the super conferences could look like if we have two 20-team conferences. First mm-hmm. of all, you're going to have to change the entire playoff voting committee conversation because I'm going to be arguing with some three-loss teams over some undefeated Well, you're going to definitely have to expand the playoff, which they did not no, want to do. They're going like, to anyway, so let's yeah, not get right. ourselves. We, yeah, right. So you're gonna, yeah, they're going to have – have, well, if you have the two 20-team conferences, you have to expand, expand the playoff, man. You, it, there's just no way around it, right? So the question is, how big at, at the end of it? How big does the playoff get to Ryan Rosillo? How many teams are in the college football playoff? It, well, it, like, I, the way it's going. I never, I didn't even want it expanded in the first place because I felt like it was important. This is my little riff here. When you start opening up to eight plus teams, and they start saying like, "What do we just play a season for? Like, what's the point of this?" And you say, "Well, in the NFL, I actually don't like it in the NFL when a team's barely over five hundred, then has a one and done chance to win a Super Bowl. I don't really understand the point of that." But again, I know I'm on the losing <laughs> side of the argument, and nobody wants to agree with me on that one. What I wonder is like, does the Big Ten go? Wait a minute, how the fuck is Rutgers in here? Mm-hmm. Like, like, do we? Do we Wait. realign and then also sort of <laughs> they're gonna kick Rutgers <laughs> relegate <out>. this too? <laughs> hey, look, like Rutgers hey. being in the Big Ten, if they get to stay through, like this will be one of the most strategic, like one of the smartest, and like how the hell did that happen? The people from Rutgers should be running more important things in a college. Right. Look, there's a bunch of people, there's a bunch of people in New Jersey right now who a couple of days ago were like, "Yeah, baby." We got in right at the right time. Exactly. For the money. And now they're fucking freaking out. You know what I mean? They're freaking out. It's like the time my dad told me about nuclear war when I was seven. Don't know why he shared it with me. Not sure. Not sure why he shared it with me. We're watching Silverado. Great movie. Kevin Costner, Danny Glover, Jeff Goldblum, you know, Lawrence Kasdan, and Kevin Klein. We're watching Silverado. My father looks at me. God rest his soul. My dad goes, the world's going to be just like that one day. I'm like, what? What do you mean? The world's going to be just like that again. Just like what? It's like horses and carriages and all of that, saloons and stuff. I'm like, why? Why would the, that's like a long time ago. He goes, oh, because Reagan going to drop that bomb. I was like, what? I mean, mean, who's going to drop what? It was like, oh, and my, he, and his, I'll never forget it. His face lights up. He goes, oh, you didn't know this. Okay, cool. So, you know, the Russians, they got bombs, right? And then, like, we got bombs. And if they shoot all of their bombs and we shoot all of our bombs, it'll cause, like, a chain reaction and everything on Earth will be destroyed. And I don't know what he thought I was going to think of this, but I'm like, God damn. Like, my anxiety was born that day. You just did that to the people in New Jersey. You just did that to Ruggers. Rutgers wasn't even thinking about the nuclear explosion of their team being kicked out the Big Ten. Now they're about to text the Big Ten commissioner like, yo, you up? How are things? Like, I didn't, I didn't mean to do counseling? that as a kid of the <laughs> 80s as well. Although, you know, when I grew up, we were blaming Gorbachev. So I don't I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't know why your dad went with Reagan. Um, he, no, 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 no. I think he went with Reagan. Because it wasn't a political thing. I think he went, I think he went with Reagan <laughs> just because he was talking about just the way that it would happen. He was just letting me know. Like my dad, like I don't think he my dad didn't give a fuck about any of that shit. So I don't think <laughs> I don't think I don't think he was I don't think he meant it as a political thing. I think he was just saying it. He didn't fucking care about that. Do you think do you think we'll get to this 
and more people will just get over it like we do with so yeah, many other things where it's yeah. like, you know, the patches on jerseys and you're like, oh, like that can't happen. And then you don't even notice them anymore. Um, this is bigger because you're going to be reminded of it every Saturday uh, where I don't even think you see the patches. And there's plenty of other examples I could use. Be like, as soon as something's yeah. announced, be like, oh, that's terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. But I felt really strongly about this. I felt strongly about this <laughs> 10 years ago. I feel strongly about it now. Yeah. And, you know, I would ask around, like, if, if Oregon ends up leaving. Okay, so that Oregon State rivalry's done. If Washington were to leave. Okay, Washington mm-hmm. State rivalry's done. We've had all these other things that I'm going to mention on the podcast today. All of these fan bases that go, this one game that I cared about, this thing that I love, that doesn't mean anything anymore, and we're all just supposed to be okay with it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if there'll ever be a moment going, hey, maybe this wasn't really worth it. If all the money was out there, why did we have to package up as the same thing? If all the money was out there, why couldn't we have figured out a way to do this? And the problem is, is that there's never going to be one person that's in charge of college sports. It's never going to be one person that's in charge of just, say, college football, because no universities would say, yeah, let's elect somebody to be in charge of all the stuff that we want to do selfishly if we have something to sell. No one does that. Yeah. So that's an interesting question, because I think about other sports. I think about how this affects basketball. We talked a little bit about this. Uh, of all the conferences, I, the conferences I enjoy watching Pac-12 basketball the most. You know what I mean? Um, UCLA, Arizona. You know, I, I I love watching the the way that plays out and the history behind that, and you know just how the sports played. Uh, I think the it'll be a testament to just our love for the sport, how quickly we you know move on from hating this idea. You know. Uh, Saturday's coming. I'm watching college football in part. I'm not just watching an LSU game. I'm watching every single game that I can watch. Okay. Um, that's not going to change. And I wonder what kind of fan I'll be going forward. Like at the end of eight man out when that, when the guy sitting in the stands watching Shoeless Joe Jackson play and he's bemoaning how great Shoeless Joe Jackson was. Is that how I'm going to watch UCLA Purdue? This didn't used to happen there used to be these amazing conferences on the West Coast where people went back and forth and scored 50 points and all of that. Like, I I wonder if that's going to be the thing. I wonder if I'm going to care, but I do know one thing. I know definitively, definitively, that college football in the near future will not be the college football of my youth. And sometimes part of growing up is understanding that things are not the things of your youth. Hey, Bill Cosby is not the Bill Cosby of my youth, you know? Um, And there's an ugly part to all of this. And, like, I I wonder if, just to be honest with you, and not to get, not to go too far with it, I wonder if I can enjoy it the same if it looks totally different. Now, I won't love it any less, but just... I wonder if every time an argument's brought up or if every time now when we're talking about the playoff, because we talk about a three-loss team getting in the playoff, I'm an LSU fan, right? You're bringing two powerhouses into our conference. You're making the SEC West, which is arguably uh, the toughest place to play in the entire country, and you're bringing Texas into it, you know? And we have to deal with all of their shit. And, every, and the, the fact that they just got a five-star out of New Iberia to come to their school. So, so things are even tougher. 
and the the conference that like when you get your bones beat in you know what i mean nobody's healthy we're all the walking wounded by the end it's tougher that's it's like that in, in in the big 10 as well you know um so don't we deserve if i if we have three losses if we have two losses now before it's like hey we're out except for that one fluke year but don't we deserve to be in the playoff being that you added all of this firepower to where we're going so everything changes i don't know if i'll care uh but i know i'll care now and i know that i'll always know that college football is going to be basically different forever and we're in the great unknown with all of this stuff and it just it just depends on how they execute it but you know everybody's getting paid man can we finish on something else sure do black guys that play basketball not want to play in toronto oh it, this is so interesting. So let me tell you something. <laughs> Wait, the way you just looked at me, you were like, "What? Where is this going?" I let it in word slip because I didn't know. I didn't know where the fuck this was going. <laughs> I can take that. I didn't know where this was going. Um, you know, this is what I'll say about that because there's been a discourse. So this is I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get serious for a second. Some of my friends in Canada. There's been a discourse here. Okay. And the discourse is in a diaspora, black people from all over, um, there are sometimes uh, there are disagreements. There are intense cultural differences that exist between black people that exist not only from Africa to the islands to wherever black people exist to Canada. There are different, there are cultural differences hugely black between where I'm from, uh, even though, you know, things are becoming more homogenized and in New York, you know, talk different, whatever, whatever. Those differences are becoming less every day, but they still exist. So when Chris Broussard said what he said, there were people that took what Chris Broussard said and took it as a value judgment on uh, how black Americans view Toronto. Okay. Uh, a friend of mine who I went back and forth with on Twitter about it said that um, sometimes American exceptionalism taints uh, black Americans understanding of, uh, of other black people's experiences all over the world. Um, I haven't experienced that, but I don't want to take that experience from him. I don't want to say that that's not true because I don't want to, like uh in any way yeah take away from right, his life right, experience right. Or, or minimize it and all but i will say this the culture in toronto is different than the culture in new york city it is like like there are i don't know whether or not black guys like toronto i've never heard that we don't like it i like you know i've I've never heard that like that's not a place we would want to live i'm not sure you know who's telling broussard maybe you know broussard is maybe kd is telling them that when they text or when they don't text i don't know but i like i don't I like i don't know what's going on there but i will say that saying that things are different for black americans and that black americans might have to adjust to the culture in toronto is not insulting in and of itself it, when, when he said it's not America, I think people took that as him saying, hey, in some way it's less than. Toronto is fucking dope as hell. It is, it is an amazing place to visit. It is an amazing place to party. It's an amazing place to be. 
if you're saying that like as a as a black dude from Silver Springs, uh, Maryland, right. that's been living in in Oklahoma City or uh, or Brooklyn or San Francisco, that there might be an adjustment period. Then I don't, there's nothing wrong with that, you know. Like I, there, there's nothing wrong with that at all. There would be an adjustment period if he had to play in London. There'd be an adjustment period if he had to play in Mexico City. There'd be an adjustment period. And if you're saying that not all spoiled NBA stars that might happen to be black want to go through an adjustment period at 34. That might also be true. I don't know. I haven't had those conversations, but you know, I've never heard it. I don't know that it's a thing, but I do know that I don't think that Chris Broussard, not to minimize anybody's feelings. I don't think Chris Broussard was trying to be insulting to Toronto. I think he was saying that perhaps for a guy like Kevin Durant, he might not at this point in his life want to have adjustment to living in a foreign country. And Canada is a foreign country. Things are going to be just a tick different. And when you go to Toronto, they are just a tick different. They're great. They're amazing. I spent some time up there, but they're they're a little bit different. But I think one trip to Carabana, if you've never been, uh, can change any brother's uh, opinion of Toronto because in August, baby, if you up there, if KD's up there for Carabana, he's never going to leave. Going to want to leave, man. But um, you 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 you'd be surprised the diaspora war. It was some, it was some black on black Canadian on American violence on Twitter <laughs> yesterday. I was kind of I was getting kind of pissed. Well, look, Broussard didn't do a good job of making his point. Yeah. So there was that, and then it turns into did he just insult Toronto? And then person from Toronto says, "How can somebody say Toronto is an awesome? Because anybody who spent time in Toronto is going to tell you it's awesome. And it's also arguably like the most diverse city it is on the continent. So it is you know, amazing how right. many different so, yeah. But I also don't think it was a total reach for Broussard to suggest that some black American players without having any understanding of, of what it is in Toronto of going like, well, maybe I'd rather just stay in the States. Like, I don't think that that is some make believe hurdle, despite the fact that Masai is one of the best five GMs, if not higher, their development is terrific. They continue to find a way to, to you know, like it's a really well-run basketball team, but I, I think it would be, it would be dismissive to the reality that there's probably plenty of players like I don't play in Canada. Black players, white players that might right. just, for whatever reason, just don't want to live in Canada. And that's not to say that Canada And they may is, not even have a good reason other than yeah. just like, oh, I don't want to do that. You know, so I, I think that's kind of what he was trying to say. And maybe it was Durant specific. I don't know the relationship between the two. I don't I don't know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But it was weird in what it turned into. So I didn't want you to speak for all of black America. But I no, just, no, no, no. I'm know. not speaking. I'm yeah. not speaking for all black Americans because, I, you know, I got got my ass kicked for that enough. But what I what I was like what like what I, what I've already been down that road, my friend. Um, but what I will say is like you know it's it's a little further, uh, it's a little it's it's cold, you know what I mean. So I'm not right. I'm, I'm I'm not in any way say like there's some brothers that some people that should I say that that probably would rather play in I don't know even in it's someplace here in America. It's not that big of a deal. I think what Broussard Broussard said, it ain't America. It made it, that made it seem like yeah. he was saying it was something less than, and I don't know that that's the overall takeaway of what he was trying to say. Well said.
Van Lathan, Ringer, Higher Learning Podcast, two days a week, and uh, Midnight Boys. Uh, what else is going on with that? Um, the Midnight Boys is out. We're doing all kinds of different things. Geek, Marvel, uh, fandom, Higher Learning is on. We are really going up. But I found a name for our duo. Okay. We're the Lawn Bowlers. The Lawn Bowlers. Let's workshop that a bit. Lawn bo- Come on, man. Rusillo, Lathan. The lawn bowlers. We're the lawn bowlers. Think about, first of all. I got to do more research on this. I'm not just signing off on anything. I'm just not signing (laughs) off. You know I love you, but I'm just not signing off on anything without further research. All right, my man. All right, thanks, man. Peace. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice. Life advice, rr at gmail.com. Just want to check in with the gang post 4th of July. Uh, I tried not to call Saruti during the holiday week, but we ended, up, we ended up on the phone about something, which I think was fine. You didn't have a lot going on, right, Saruti? No, I went to dinner. We were talking about what our plans were, and uh, I don't know. It just didn't. It was actually like the perfect timing, though, because it's not a Monday. You get this awesome long weekend. But I don't know. I didn't have a lot of buddies doing anything. So we just kind of went out to dinner and hung out. I think you did the same, right? Yeah, very low key. I mean, look, I had to work Friday night, Sunday morning, and then ready for today. So it's not like I don't love America, but, you know, I just had other (laughs) stuff going on. Although we had fireworks outside the house and then they kept going off. I was doing one of those weird, you know, I fell asleep, you know, whatever. I don't stay up as late now on the West Coast as I used to back in the East Coast uh, just for the way my clock works and the schedule. And I kind of like to get up early and get my shit done before I even start the pod. But, uh, I was having one of those like fall asleep for an hour and a half and then thinking you'd already slept six hours, which is kind of good, but also not because then you're like, wait, now what do I do? And then guys started letting off fireworks at 1am and then 3am. But I got to tell you though, I try to, I try to always have a bit of a like, Hey, I would have done the exact same thing. So I'm not going to freak out about this. You know, Although, although at, in my 20s, I would have not lived in this neighborhood. I think that's pretty That's pretty true. Clear. That's fair. 3 a.m. Yeah. fireworks, though. I don't know if I could. You can't justify that. That's stupid. No, I'm not I'm, saying I'm, it's right, but I'm not calling the cops. Is what yeah. I'm although, yeah. I mean, come on. What, what are we, narcs? Come on. It's I'm once a year. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not reading any of the 10 reasons why you should never light out fireworks because it makes squirrels sad and dogs don't know what's going on. Like, it's one. It's once a year. Like, I'm. I get, I get it. If it's like you know Christmas or something, it's like all right, this isn't really a fireworks holiday, but this is the fireworks holiday, so it's fine. It's always, it's all fine on July Fourth for me. Kyle being pro fireworks was one of the least surprising things <laughs> on the pod today. Uh-huh. I'm with you though, Kyle. The the what about the dog tweets? A lot of lot of what about the dogs? I think there's some cautious, some some helpful. Hey, don't forget about our our little furry friends yeah. and stuff. But then when it starts turning into you know. There's going to be something else that freaks your dog out, all right? Big time. So, yeah. Like, they don't just sit around totally calm for 364, and then, you know, the nation's birthday is like, oh, you know, they get together on dog Reddit being like, oh, this fucking day again coming up. So, yeah. yeah uh, you got any good fireworks stories for us, Kyle? I'd imagine. Uh, just some scary ones. You know, I, I pretty much won't light fireworks myself anymore, um, you know. <laughs> Got got out of there by the skin of my teeth a couple times. You know, be careful with the mortars because, uh, 
you know, sometimes that little plastic tube they come in, it uh, it blows right apart for some reason. I don't know why they give you a plastic tube and then you got to make a tube and then the tube's not right and then it doesn't go high enough and everybody's ducking for cover. So it's been it's been a year since I've lit a firework. Um, so I'll just I'll I'll stay with that. I don't I don't like messing around. Although I will I will have like a Roman candle war if uh, if that's ever on the table. But other than that, yeah. I pretty much just stay away from the, the big booms. Let somebody else do that. Yeah, we used to stick bottle rockets into the end of wiffle ball bats and just fire them at each other when that's we were great. junior high. Yeah. And I remember it turned out was, great. Yeah, I think one person was like, hey, if you're going to do that, put goggles on. <laughs> oh. Loser. Hey, the bat, yeah. the bat is the precaution. That's, that's it's, yeah. it's four feet away from me. That's about as good as you're going to get with kids. Those things would fly out of out of a wiffle ball bat and you'd just be sitting there. You might have done it at night so it's a little safer. All right. Okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah. That's actually yeah, yeah. <laughs> Keep telling yourself that. <laughs> so here's what we got. We got a lot of follow-ups to the dad, the realtor. A lot of follow-ups. I like to share them because there could be just a spinoff called The Community. Although I think that TV show had its run. Uh we could just read other responses. I don't know. I don't know how well that would do. Maybe top five. All right. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that was a joke for very, very few people. Okay. Um, we got a guy checking in. No stats. My mom's a realtor as well and promised to buy my wife and I new fans. We bought her new home. For those that don't know, if you buy a house, sometimes, you know, a lot of times a realtor will, will buy you a gift uh, off the commission they made. I, you know, I don't feel like debating that. Sometimes it happens. <laughs> uh, sometimes it doesn't. I think it happens a lot. It depends. Yeah. Does your wife buy gifts for a uh, for a buyer, Saruti? Definitely. Yep. Yeah. There we go. We Almost get a, all the time. Get... Yep. Usually gift cards, but yeah, you know. We got a realtor husband here, kind of like girl dad. Hashtag <laughs> 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 realtor husband. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you see, we get that one trending. Like, like this is just a huge month of closures. Be like, realtor husband, and just a picture of you outside, like a with whole, like touching a sign or pointing to it. Get that going. Let us know how that goes. All right. So uh, mom was supposed to buy him fans. Never followed through. It was always, let me know what fans you want. When I would send a fan, you would send her pictures of the fan. I would like, oh, yeah, I guess so. It never felt super authentic or that she actually wanted to buy them. Uh, It was also a new build that we had to wait for. So she didn't exactly uh, show us all the options. Oh, I see. New build, probably a ceiling fan. So he'd be like, hey, this is the one that I want. Granted, houses were in limited supply, but we felt like we got lower quality service. To add on to this, my friends bought a house through her. Uh, and she promised a finder's fee that she also never followed through with. Uh-oh. Mm. Okay. All while bragging about how much money she has in the bank. 100K. Uh, it is sometimes better to separate separate business and family. All right. There's just a lot of problems with this email. How it was written. So he wasn't asking for any advice. It's just his mom doesn't follow through with shit. And sometimes it sucks to That's say nice. that. Like, you know, there's people in our lives. They're not going to follow through. Sometimes it's your mom. Not not sure. Okay, this is uh this one annoyed me, so that's why I hit it. Love the segment. Felt like you guys screwed over the wife on that realtor one. No, 
they can't use his dad if he's going to cost them 50K, but your feedback made seem like blaming his wife is the other option. Ultimately, it's his dad. He needs to address it as soft as he can be, but make it like 100% his decision. You can't let her, uh, you can't let your dislike for confrontation be the reason why your wife's relationship with her in laws is strained any more than it already needs to be with this decision. I don't think we were blaming the wife here. Correct. I think we were just providing an out through the wife, a wife who would probably love the idea because she's like anything to not use your dad. And if it softens the blow, yeah. So we weren't wife blaming here. Um, all right, last one. This was actually the only one that's actually important. Uh, Pete checking in. And this is smart. This is smart. I should have thought of this, but we don't cover it all. We never promise to cover 100% of your options, whether it be college football or life advice. I double-checked the original paperwork and make sure he didn't just take it out at closing. Normally, real estate agents get 3% for 6% total. Uh, so if it's below that, it means he took it out and they were not paying uh, interest on that as well. Double win. It is worth checking the closing docs. My guess is he either did or he knew he didn't. Or why would his dad be like, hey, just so you saw on the closing doc, I didn't take out. Yes, when you look through every piece of closing doc, you look through all of it, you're like, okay, I'm good, I'm good. One time, randomly, a place sent me double on the paperwork, not the check. And it was a quick win for your boy. I was like, oh, wait. I was like, that's sick. But I knew it was wrong because I was pretty on top of it. I was like, that doesn't make it. And then she calls back. She's like, hey, actually, it's half. I was like, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't send out closing docs with with double the money coming back to the owner. She's like, yeah. But it was a mistake, whatever. Um, yeah, so the closing doc thing, we're only bringing it up, but I think we already probably know. Surudi wants to chomp on this one, so go for it. No, it's a good observation. I I would bet a lot of money that did not happen a lot of money. in this case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, it was brought up numerous times. So just in case you hadn't thought of it, because we didn't say it, but... Um, I think it'd be weird to do that if you're the dad and then never bring it up. Like you'd want to be like, Hey, did you see that? But yeah, just to be safe, let us know how that goes. Okay. Let's get back to what we do. All right. Uh, our guys from Toronto, I guess, uh, turned 30 city in the news. Yeah. City in the news. <laughs> that city's been in the crosshairs the last couple of days. Uh, I was in a serious relationship for four and a half years that I can probably report ended very amicably. I've been single for about a year now. Prior to my last relationship, very single, very active, and extremely shallow. All right. Wow. Cool. Okay. Hot start. Yeah. <laughs> know yourself. Yeah. I, I love, I actually love the start of this email. So in my defense, I was club and bar hopping, not exactly looking for my future wife. Although I have plenty of faults, I can say that treating people well and not being an asshole is something I can stay claim to. Congrats to you. This landed well with girls, hence very active. Sorry, dude. And, and, <laughs> I was like, dude, yeah. <laughs> dude, we get it. Great. Now, I think this, I think this guy's going to be all right. So I've never even thought of breaking a core tenant, which is being good to people, to play the prick card when trying to get girls. After a lot of fun single years, I met a girl. Uh, we had a really great run. And ultimately, there just wasn't enough spark to let, uh, left to make sense of continuing on. So I became single, luckily, with no painful memories or ex-girlfriend hardships to get over. I don't mean for that piece to sound casual. More than aware that it's a fucking miracle occurrence these days. All right. Before we get to the current single phase, I wanted to call out, I heard your recent comment about how, how guys my age should know whether or not they're generally attractive to other people. Because I heard that. I feel comfortable sharing that I'm lucky to say that I fall into the generally attracted to bucket and acknowledge uh, that had a lot to do with the success in the jungle. 
How much do you guys hate this guy right now? I mean, this one. is the, this is a rough start. Were they all nines and tens, dude? I mean, Jesus <laughs> yeah. Christ! I'm happy you're happy. You're like, though. no, wait, no, wait. It gets better. I think you like this guy. He's super hot. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> also, I took a long, hard look in the mirror, and I'm I look pretty great. <laughs> uh, that's perfect, Saruti. Just the fact that it's like, no, no, you're gonna be fine. I'd be like, oh, on top of that, um. Uh, yeah, one sentence like, "Hey, I do really well. Pretty hot." All right, I, I don't yeah. know. I, he's he's treating people nice. Let's give him yeah, credit yeah. for that. And yep, he's, there's fair. some self awareness in here. Okay, so he goes. There is golden rule. Right now, uh, he says these are the early days being back out there. Uh, when I first got back out there, I knew it was going to be rusty. Four and a half years out of the game, we'll put anyone a bit on edge. Again, this guy's thirty now. I'm in a bar uh, all of a sudden with much younger girls, 23, 27. By the way, if you're 30, 27 is not much Don't worry younger. about it, pal. I don't want to hear yeah, shit about I, 27. 23 is, <laughs> I don't know. just depends on how you feel. I quickly got the jitters, but it's obviously very different now since I'm not trying to be as much of an idiot as I was the last time I was single. I started seeing a very attractive, shocking, 25-year-old. And as we got to the second month of seeing each other, she basically ghosted me. Mm. Uh-oh. Kyle's like, yes. <laughs> this obviously stung more out of ego than me being upset about losing the person. But nonetheless, as I forged ahead, I continued to keep my MO of just being good to people and treating them right. I met another girl who's a little bit older, 27. The hottest girl I've ever met. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, and I kid you fucking not, the exact same thing happened. Keep in mind, there was no dramatic event or significant conversation that went badly, et cetera. In either case, uh, at this point, I started to think, fuck me if I lost it fuck is going on i head back out i tell myself okay just do your thing and don't stress out about finding mrs perfect just have fun continuing with my approach of being a good guy etc i am finding absolutely zero luck even when gunning for a lowly one night stand all right so well the problem is that now your ego's dented after the previous two and then you know you just don't have the same confidence right now and i'm yeah. just telling you they the women know they just know. All right. So I now have a decision to make. Should I try the whole asshole approach? These girls seem so different now. And maybe it's the only move. No, you're different now. Remember that. It's like when my friends go, Vegas is different. It's like, no, you're different. You're different, which is what's supposed to happen. You were supposed to be different. So it's back to the question. Um, can I take on the approach? Context, I appreciate you're probably thinking, who the fuck is this psycho who can just become an asshole with a snap of his fingers? But I work in an industry and have a role. If I shared, I'd immediately outed. All right. So never mind. We're not going to do that. Uh, that. He doesn't share it anyway. Uh, this requires me to become quite prickly at times. This guy, Ninja. And I've learned how to apply that mindset when needed in specific situations outside work. I immediately have a ton of success using this. And basically every girl I've gone out with has wanted to be more long term. This royally fucks with me as I'm currently sitting here thinking, do I want to continue seeing something who seemingly likes me when I act like the person I strive not to be? Well written email, by the way. Um, I definitely don't enjoy taking on this approach, but I don't so love. I also don't love the idea of being ghosted again. I could easily have just run into an odd stretch. I realize people are timing are elusive and unpredictable, but here I am pondering: should I just be an asshole? All right, this is a this is a this is one of the all timers here. Just not 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 the email itself, but the yes, this is something a lot of guys. You're younger. You try to be nice to people. You see people acting like assholes, the cool guys, and then you're like, maybe I'll try to do this. You want to know why I know? Because this is what I did. All right. I got burned a couple times. I was super nice to everybody. I got burned. And then I was like, it seems like all these girls, like all the guys that are like the meanest or aloof or don't pay attention to them because we do have some weird thing. And this is specific to men or women. It's both of us wanting something that we can't have. So if you could try to give off that vibe while also sort of just sprinkling in little bits of interest, um, 
you know, you can make it work to your advantage. And that's what I ended up doing. And it, and it fucking worked, you know, but the weird thing is you start to get into the real world and then you find somebody who actually like cares for you and loves you unconditionally, which is what happened to me 20 years ago. And I'm still like, I've got this sort of college guy mode still hanging on. And, you know, eventually she snaps out of the, the, the fog and is like, this guy's kind of a dick. And then she doesn't like you anymore. And, you know, then you realize, okay, some fucking German guy sneaking in. All right. I'm not going to do that rant. But the point is, is I get the dilemma because it seems like there's so many times where you go, it feels like all these guys are winning that are actually not trying to be nice guys. And I don't know how everybody feels about karma. I feel like karma is kind of like Santa Claus for adults. (laughs) If it were totally true, if like, I sometimes I want to believe in it, but man, in my business, I see so many assholes win that I'm like, I don't know if I believe in it, man. I don't know that I believe in karma. So it'd be nice if everybody believed in it enough to think, hey, if I just treat people the right way, not try to play all these games, not do all this different shit, um, then it's all going to work out. And here's the thing. It's probably going to work out for you because you are super hot, apparently. All right. So you're also talking to you know, this is where the age thing can be. Like when you said much younger, when you're 30, it's 27 to me. I'm like, what are you talking about? But you could, you could also, if you're starting to talk to 23 year old girls who are just out of college, like and you're 30 and you're, you're thinking about long-term and they're still thinking about Todd from lacrosse, you know, there's, there's going to be an emotional disconnect. That's probably there. Uh, that could be greater than just say like 40 to 30 years old, 30 to 23. Like that's, it's a year out of college. You kind of, you, whatever you're doing is not what you're going to be doing. And you obviously are a little bit more established. So there's probably a bit of a disconnect there with you that you may not even realize. So I'm not telling you to be a dick. I'm not. I would just say you need to kind of reevaluate what it is you want out of this and not put so much pressure on yourself. Because if these other two girls have one, if they've both ghosted you, I don't know what it is that you could be doing. By the way, the girl that you dated, is she dating anyone now? Is that guy awesome or is he terrible? Are you overvaluing your own market worth on this one? Just all the things you kind of have to ask yourself. You know what I'm saying? Look, I looked at myself the other day in the mirror. I was like, dude, you aren't hot. It wasn't great. <laughs> it wasn't great. But I was like, all right, you know what I mean? Like, I had to deal with it. I had to, I had to, I had to accept it. Was and it the so, angle? What was this like a was it, I mean, come on. Just having a bad day. Just having a yeah. bad day. And so um I don't know that we've really I want to get Kyle and Steve in here because I'm starting to ramble anyway. So go ahead, Kyle. You go first. First thing, Ryan, you got nice eyes and you got a boat, so don't ever let that hold you down. And two, I'm glad this guy has a little bit of a story arc, at least. It sounded like for the first, I don't know, 55% of that email, it's like, yeah, everything's been going great. I've I even thought about it. And yeah, I'm I'm actually hot too. It's not just that I'm nice. Like it's <laughs> Actually, I really, Kyle, I really kind of wanted to fight this guy after the first <laughs> really, paragraph. Well, I didn't realize it was going to be like I've actually hit a rough patch, and I mean, for whatever yeah. reason, you hit a rough patch. When I came to LA, I was like, "What am I doing this wrong?" But like, I don't know. It just felt like I didn't know anybody, and everyone I was talking to was always like, "Oh, and and this is what I've been doing, and this is what I know, and this is what I'm working on." And I was like, "I don't know. I I drive around and pick up coffee and and drop off equipment. Like that's kind of my deal. I don't really have any." So I I, I had a. I had a like a rough probably six months when I got here. I was like, am I doing this wrong? I thought I was doing pretty well. 
you know, in college and whatever. But I mean, it sounds like it doesn't really matter the reason. You're just having a rough patch and it builds character. And I mean, I think it's important for you to be able to sleep at night. And it sounds like the another positive f- to put in your positives bucket is that you actually don't want to be an asshole just because it might work out, you know, for you to get a girl. So I think I think everything's fine. This this can't last forever, especially if you're 30s and a self-proclaimed hottie. So I think you're fine, dude. <laughs> I would I would say just kind of stop thinking about it. Now, that's the advice all of us can give everybody else. It's super easy to do that. Hey, stop thinking about it. But we're not that person, which is always one of my biggest problems with people giving everybody like telling, you know, hey, this is how I feel emotionally. And it's like, oh, you're going to tell me how I'm supposed to feel like you don't have the same emotional attachment that I do. So all of your words, like with good meaning and they might be the right ones, like I can't get through it. But it sounds like, hey, man, a lot of things are working out for you. Build the confidence back up. Don't worry about these things. None of it mattered. You didn't care about these other two girls. You admitted it. It's more of an ego thing. I've lost relationships where I was like, wait, do I care about the person or do I care about the myself? L. I take and an I L. was like, yeah, the L. And it was like, oh, wait, this has nothing even to do with her. This literally has nothing to do with her. This has everything to do with me. And so when you start going through all those things, like if you're going out having to talk yourself in, like there's two guys on in a tie game in the eighth inning, you're already fucked. Yeah. All right. Go out there and not think about any of this stuff and stop like are you are you meeting somebody then going like okay well could i marry her oh i wonder if she'd be a good mom what's her dad do oh does she have cool brothers or shitty brothers what town do they have beach you know what i mean like if you start doing all these things when you first start meeting people you can work yourself up into this thing that just you put off a vibe that's not all that attractive i know you're gonna jump in here so real quick i'll i'll tell you like i don't know it was like a year or so ago think things are just starting to open up a little bit. People were kind of milling around. And I was standing next to this guy who's not a friend, but I sort of know who he is. And he's just one of those dudes that, like, he's not thinking about anything when he goes out. He's a good-looking guy. He's not the hottest dude ever. Just doesn't think about anything. I can just tell. Because he'll talk to me, and he'll just say stuff. And there was this, like, really attractive woman that was there, and everybody was looking at her. And the guy could have been lying, but I don't think he was lying. And he was just like, basically, the guy had no concept that he was supposed to think about anything other than trying to meet this girl. And he ended up meeting her because he didn't care about anything else. He didn't think about any of these other things. He wasn't second guessing himself. He was so delusional. And I would say arguably not that smart to even come up with the idea that he was supposed to question anything he was doing. Fucking magician, man. It's rude. Yeah, I would just say you have to know who you are too. Like I was never the guy that could be a dick or, you know, I wasn't very mysterious. I was just like kind of a nice guy. I tried to be a nice guy. And like that works for some girls. It doesn't work for all the girls. So if you're like, Hey, I need to be more of a dick and that's not who you are as a person, that's not going to be good for you. So I, I would, I, I would recommend not doing that if it doesn't, if it's not like a natural thing for you, but the confidence thing is wild because I mean, it reminds me, it's like, it's like Derek White in the finals because look at like what happens. Like he, wow. he looks awesome. He looks like he's a game changer for the Celtics. He has a couple bad games and he's like, he cannot even play in the series. Like you don't want to be Derek White in the situation. Go back to the basics. What do you do? You're, you, you said this, you're a good looking dude. Be the good looking dude. Who's nice. A lot of girls are still going to be into that. Be confident in that lane. You don't have to change who you are just because you had two girls potentially ghost you. You know, again, it, it's not like a huge sample size either. It might've just been two girls that were on like a completely different page than you. And it doesn't mean anything for you long term. So I don't know why you have to. Ch- I understand why you're kind of like questioning what your what your like what your move is or what your go to approach is. I'll use another M- NBA analogy. Remember in Miami 
when LeBron went there and like all of a sudden he was a villain. He's like, I'm going to be the villain. I'm going to be the LeBron never wanted to be a villain. LeBron wants to be liked. Like that's who he is down in his core. And if you are a guy in your core who good looking dude, who's really nice to other people and people like you because you're nice. I wouldn't deviate from that plan, man. I just like some girls are going to like that. Some girls aren't. But a long term, you're going to be happier because you're going to meet somebody who likes you because you're nice. So I would say don't change yourself too much and just 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 stay the course, stay who you are and trust. It's and not to be saying thank you on everybody here, but trust the process. Wow. That's three NBA analogies. Incredible. So I'm sorry. That was free, guys. Do you have any friends that you can trust that are honest with you? Like if if you have a friend that you can say, hey, do I have bad breath? Your friend's like, actually, yeah, we, we talk about it. <laughs> um, and I don't mean like this guy, but I'm just saying like in general, maybe you could even ask your friends, be like, is there anything I'm doing, any vibe I'm putting off? And what if they say, no, man, you're money and you'll feel great. And you could just turn back to them and be like, Broncos country, let's ride. And let me just say, some guys couldn't even get the number. So the fact that you're like a month goes by or whatever, just be happy you're even, you even got to take it, pal. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and I also, this guy, I don't know, five years ago, I mean, it's not like ghosting was invented in the last three years, but all right, we spent enough time on this and it took up the whole thing because we have a massive pod for you. Uh, so please subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks to Kyle and Steve, as always, Ryan Russell Podcast, Ringer Spotify. Spotify.